Hello and welcome to I Heard It On A Podcast, our little corner of the Wild West. Hope y'all didn't think we were hanging up our fiddles. My name's Riley. <laughs> That's a good one. I think my gain's a little high, so I'm going to turn myself down. My name's Isaiah. Uh, do you know what, or do you have an inf- inform... Infer... Inf- Informationing? Can, can you infer an inferation? Do you, can you infer what hanging up the fiddle means? I'm assuming it means you're a fiddle player and you're just so sick of playing the fiddle that you like hang it up in a cl- closet and, and don't and, play it. Yeah, I mean, basically it's to give up. Yeah. But, dear we're, listener, we are not hanging up our fiddle. We're not quitters. We're not quitters. I mean, sometimes I, I've, I've quit one thing. One, the, basically the main thing that I quit in my life was I was on an ultimate Frisbee team in college and mm. they just required way too much commitment. So nice. I quit. <laughs> yeah. Commitment for like ultimate Frisbee is kind of intense. They, like, I, they like toured, they like traveled almost every weekend and they practiced two hours every day. Yeah. And I was like, uh, I don't even get that much. I had a scholarship for marching band. Everyone did. It wasn't just me, <laughs> but I don't even have to do that much for the thing that I'm being paid to do, which right. is marching band. Let alone the fun. Let alone the fun intramural activity or whatever. That I have to pay to be in. Right. <laughs> so I'm Peace not out. doing this anymore. See you later, Black Penguins. I quit Boy Scouts, but it's because I didn't want to go and interview a politician. <laughs> That's why you yep. had to do that. Yeah, <laughs> you had to get the. That uh, was one of the interview mi- a politician badge. Yeah, that was a politician. Like, there's a politics merit badge, and if you wanted to become an Eagle Scout, you had to do that one. That was a required one. And once you get like older in Boy Scouts, and you have to start doing more of the like responsible merit badges and like not, not the just fun outdoors. Learn to light ones. a fire. Yeah, it kind of gets you know boring. Like I basically had to do like. I still had to do a like first aid training thing with an EMT and I had to go interview a politician and I had to like, I think there was like a family planning one where you had to write a will and I was like, yeah, I'm not about this. That's like, what <laughs> makes becoming an Eagle Scout something that's actually respected is yeah. the fact that you've accomplished things beyond just being able to chop down a tree and yeah. make a snow fort. Yeah. So, But I was only like 14 and I didn't <laughs> want to accomplish those so things right then. Before you learned all those things, did you want to become an Eagle Scout? Yeah. When you were like 10? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I but then I, I realized. That, yeah, then I realized that I didn't want to go through all of the hoops. Hmm. So, and here I am. And here you are, still flying high. Flying high, even without your Eagle Scout designation. I'm probably flying as high as an eagle could fly. You think? Yeah. Uh, you're on the ground, though. Well, most Eagle Scouts are also on the ground. Ooh, good point. Uh, unless they're in a plane. Anyway, <laughs> this is a weird <laughs> sidetrack. Let's get back on topic. Okay. Um, I've got a story. So okay. I was moving recently, like yep. in the last week, um, and I was moving across the country because I took all of my stuff out of my apartment in D.C. and brought it back here. Yep. And um, part of that process was renting the freight elevator in my apartment in D.C. This is such an adult thing to do. I know. I felt very adult over the last week. I accomplished <laughs> several adult things. I could have nice. gotten like a move across the country Eagle Scout patch. Right. That'd be great. <laughs> that's a, that's be a tough one, one to get. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, I had to rent a f- the freight elevator and like reserve it for a certain amount of time. Yep. And it was difficult to fend off the vultures who wanted to use the freight elevator during my mm. reserved time. Yep. There was a bunch of maintenance people and people with bikes and and just lazy people who didn't want to go around to the other part of the building and use the regular... There was right. four other elevators in this building, and they didn't want to use them. They wanted to oh use my, my elevator that's big enough to move pieces of furniture right. and other boxes and stuff. So I had to like argue with people and say, no, I have it reserved, and blah, blah. And at one point, these guys were trying to get up to the roof. Mind you, there is another way to get roof access, right. but they were carrying a ladder. So I was like, fine, I'll take you up there, and then I'm going to take it back because the... It, anyway, I had to control the freight elevator because right. you have to be in it to control it. Right. So they like had two different ladders, and I was in it and controlled it and took them up to the roof. And then as they got out, they like turned to say, "Hey, thanks." And as they turned, the guy turned the holding the ladder. <laughs> he turned and hit his other friend with the ladder, <laughs> and the guy like he didn't like curse him out, but he was. 
really mad. <laughs> and so they like bumbled off of the elevator and I took it back down. But that's hilarious. I thought it was pretty, it was kind of Three Stooges-esque. Yeah, but ladders there's only two of them. are one of the most cumbersome items you can carry, I think. Yeah. <laughs> They're really inconvenient. Yeah. <laughs> I was curious what they were doing, but I didn't care that much because I right. had other stuff to do. Like if you're on the roof, how much higher are you going to go that you need a ladder? I don't know. There's not much up there. There's Maybe. like a couple of, I don't know. There's maybe like a Wi-Fi router or something up oh. there they need to fix. I don't know. Maybe they were going to like cat burglar across to the next building with their ladder and go down from the roof and steal a precious diamond or something. Maybe. Maybe I was aiding yeah. a cat bur- burglary. Yeah, that'd be pretty impressive. Impressive? Yeah. You think that'd that would be a great story. I mean... You... Isn't that illegal? I don't know. I'm like an accessory to a crime. I mean, you just push an elevator button, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose it's just like holding the door right, for, for someone. a bank robber or yeah. something. Like, no big deal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Probably not going to be convicted of anything. No. You might get a slap on the wrist. Maybe. Anyway, speaking of slaps on the wrist, <laughs> nice segue, right? <laughs> sure. This guy in Italy worked at a hospital. And he worked there for many years, at least 15. And. For the last 15 years, he's received payment um, for this job, and he has not gone to work for the last 15 <laughs> years. He apparently hasn't showed up. So when you say he worked at a hospital, you mean he got paid by a hospital? <laughs> right. I guess he did something like administrative or in... It doesn't say exactly what his job was, but it's not. he wasn't like a, a nurse or right. he wasn't interacting with patients. Right. He did something kind of more on the back end. But apparently he, he's now being investigated for fraud, extortion, and abuse because he was paid the equivalent of 464,000 pounds <laughs> over the last 15 years. That's a lot of money. When people thought he was working and he wasn't, which is, I mean, it's, basic, it's stealing, right? Yeah. And when you boil it down, I mean, you can call it fraud or extortion, it is extortion because he did threaten his manager to not say anything. Right. It doesn't say exactly how he threatened. And that manager that he threatened later retired. And yeah. the new manager who came in didn't even know who he was. Right. And that's like the, the, that's the way to storm. do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's probably how he got away with it for so long is the old manager left and the new manager didn't even know he existed mm-hmm. probably. So he just slipped by on payroll and no right. one really cared. It's probably a big enough hospital that payroll doesn't talk to the managers, right. doesn't talk to the people on the floor who would see him walking around doing totally. his job. Yeah. And when you think about it, in a company of, I don't know, 500 people, when those are all different departments, yeah. if they don't have a system to check and talk to each other and you don't have a direct supervisor, or in this case, the guy's direct supervisor, he like circumvented that situation, right. granted by threatening them. <laughs> but still, you can... I guess kind of get away with it because there's only yeah. one system of checking. That's one person. They're his manager. Right. So it's kind of interesting to think about. Yeah. In in our jobs, there's we have several people that we interact with on a yeah. daily basis. It, it wouldn't work. There's but no if, way. If you kind of do your own thing and you just have one person to report to every once in a while, maybe that could work. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we're not encouraging right. it, but it's interesting. <laughs> Especially now with like working from home, like yeah. you could theoretically. I think a lot of jobs beforehand were like 10 hours of work and 30 hours of like sitting at your desk and talking to people at Uh work. (laughs) And so now you could like, if you've got a salary job and you don't clock in, you could just like do your work and then have another 30 hours of your week to do whatever. Yeah. And you're working from home, so no one really super cares. If you have a job that is entirely dependent on results or deliverables, then, yeah, maybe you can just yeah. say, all right, I'm going to be really efficient for the next 15 hours, uh, you know, working yeah. hours, and then I'm going to take the two and a half days off after that. Right. <laughs> but a lot of other jobs, you have to be online for like answering questions totally, or yeah. having meetings or other yeah. stuff. So that's yeah. an idealized situation, right. I yeah, think. Yeah, totally. I, it's interesting because I read a story on Reddit. It was like an Ask Me Anything thread. Uh-huh. Um, about a year ago, I think it was, uh, for this guy who he, I think his title was, I've been getting paid to not work for eight years, ask me anything. Um, and he basically, 
his department went through a restructuring where most of his team was laid off and he was supposed to be transferred somewhere else. So he was the manager. He had a team of, you know, six people. All six of them got fired and then he was going to be transferred into a new department. Hmm. And the HR department messed up the paperwork. And so they put him in a new department, but it was like a blank null department in whatever system they were using. And so he was a manager of this department that doesn't exist. And so his pay kept going. And he thought it was kind of weird for a while because he kept showing up to work, you know, going to his office, never getting any like information about his new team or his new job. Like no one ever told him. And so he just kind of sits around. But he didn't care enough to ask anyone? No. So he gets to this point where like it's been, you know, two or three weeks now and he's still getting paid, but he's not doing anything. And he's just like, talking to people in his office, like hanging out in his office, like that's pretty much all he's doing. Um, And so at this point, he's just like kind of waiting for someone to say something to him, you know. Um, And this probably goes on for like two or three months until he's like, man, I don't think they did some, like I think they messed something up or whatever. Uh And so he had access because he was a manager to like see all of this stuff. And so he logged in and saw that he was still a manager and... He, he couldn't see which department he was a manager of, but he could just see that he was, like, still a manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he is, like, assuming that, like, he's been put on his new team's payroll or whatever. Um, and so he just, like, basically from then on just showed up to work and would, like, talk to his coworkers. He talked to, like, the HR people. Like, he talked to his old boss. He'd <laughs> be like, hey, how's it going or whatever. But none of them even cared to, like, ask about his new team or his new position. Like, wow. no one gave a crap at all. That's kind of sad in its <laughs> own so, way. Yeah. And so he basically, like, his only job was he'd show up, talk to people for a little bit, and then he'd play video games in his office, or he'd, like, he took some, co- like, college classes in his office. Wow. Um, some days he would just show up and, like, go out the back door and go home again, like, after he'd said <laughs> hi to everybody. And so it was one of those things where the HR department knew him because he was a manager, but they just, like, had no idea what was going on. They just saw him around, and they're like, this is good, and then no one ever checked into it at all. And it went on for probably like eight years and he never ended up actually being caught. He just found a better paying job somewhere else that I guess was worth leaving a job that's, you know, paying you to do nothing. And so when he was leaving, he was like, hey, by the way, you broke something. (laughs) I haven't been working here for like eight years, you know, like I haven't been doing any work at all. And he was choosing to remain anonymous because I guess he was like trying to avoid legal action or whatever. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure you can be sued for back pay. And eight years of back pay is a lot of money. It's a lot of money. But it was just crazy to me. Like, It's not that he wasn't interacting. Like, He was still interacting with people, but just, you know, enough to keep his standing there or whatever. Yeah, to make people believe that he was there. But if he didn't have anyone that he worked directly for, didn't have like a yearly review or anything. Didn't have a team. Like his team didn't technically exist. And... He was supposed to be moved, you know, from a management position onto someone else's team. That wasn't communicated, and so he like wasn't supposed to have direct reports or anything like that. Hmm. And so that's crazy to me. And it was funny too because his company would do well, and the upper management would like see him in the hallway, and they're like, "You guys are doing like you're doing a great job. Like you and your team are just killing it." And he's like, "I haven't done anything in two years." Like <laughs> that's funny. It's just crazy to me, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would live in constant fear. I know. If that honestly, was, yeah. Like every day I would yeah. come and wait. I'm going to go to jail. <laughs> like, okay, I'm, yeah, today's the day I get found out and I go to jail. Right. And also, I'm pretty sure that his, his previous employers, when he tell him that, could yeah. tell his future employer, like, hey, by the way, this happened. Yeah. And it reflects really poorly on him that he didn't ever right. say anything. I think he tried to fix it, like, and like as soon as it was happening, I think he had talked to them and they just were confused and they didn't understand like what the issue was. So I think he tried at the beginning and then at that point it was just like, well, he had tried once, so for him that was morally enough, I guess. <laughs> huh. But it's a, it, that is it's an, an interesting, an interesting situ- situation case. for sure. <laughs> okay, we're going to move on. I want to talk about books, specifically weird books. And while I was thinking about the concept of weird books, I was trying to decipher what qualifies as a weird book. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of books, and if you think about it, the concept of a book in in general is weird. You just kind of sit alone 
and stare at like thinly <laughs> sliced <trees>. pieces of wood <laughs> with weird symbols on them yep. and then hallucinate this story. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, oh, that was good. I, I wish there was another one of those. Right. And then maybe you read another book. That's a weird thing to that think is, about. That's yeah. a shower thought right there. Yeah. Um, but there's, in my mind, books that are weird in two ways. One way is a, is it's weird in plot. And the, but there definitely are some, and we'll probably talk about some of those. And then there's books that are weird in what I would call like form or writing. Right. Um, and I think those are interesting too. Kind of, a lot of them are like writing exercises or creative endeavors. Um, first one I want to talk about is a book called Gadsby by Ernest Vincent Wright. And it is a 50,000 word novel that doesn't once use the letter E. Wow. The whole thing is written without using the letter E. That's impressive. Yeah. And the whole, the, the rest of it, it, like the actual plot is kind of, it's kind of normal. It's about a dude named John Gadsby who organizes a youth group to revitalize his hometown. Hmm. <laughs> but it, it gets interesting in places like when he has to describe a wedding without using the words wedding, right. married, bride, marriage, things like that. <laughs> so, you yeah. No, you can't even say that. Man, I'm bad at this. Hitch. Hitch. Get. Get. Uh, uh, what's a good word? Man, I could not be this dude. Well, I actually have an uh, excerpt okay. from the first page. Okay. Um, and it's actually pretty good writing. I've, I enjoyed it. Okay, here we go. If youth throughout all history had had a champion to stand up for it, to show a doubting world that a child can think and possibly do it practically, you wouldn't constantly run across folks today who claim that a child don't know anything. A child's brain starts functioning at birth and has, amongst its many infant convulsions, thousands of dormant atoms into which God has put a mystic possibility for noticing an adult's act and figuring out its purpose. Upon to a, up, up to about its primary school days, a child thinks naturally only of play. But many a form of play contains a disciplinary factor. You can't do this, or that puts out out, shows a child that it must think practically or fail. Now, if throughout childhood... A brain has no opposition, it is plain that it will attain a position of status quo. As with our ordinary animals, man knows not why a cow, dog, or lion was not born with a brain on a par with, a, uh, on a par with ours, why such animals cannot add, subtract, or obtain from books and schooling that paramount position which man holds today. A it's whole like, novel written like that and those no are letter some E. Big words without yeah. E's. Like it was good writing. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty impressed. Dang. Um, and I kind of like that writing style that's right. lilting and highbrow, and I don't really understand a lot of it, right. <laughs> but it's fun to read. Um, so it, I thought that was interesting. Um, the next one is a book called Alphabetical Africa by Walter <laughs> Abish. And this book is maybe even more interesting. It, in the first chapter of this book, every letter starts with the letter A, or every word, sorry, starts with the letter A. Wow. And then in the second chapter, the words start with only letters A and B, third A, B, C, mm. and it goes all the way to chapter 26 where they start with all letters. They can start with all letters. Right. Then in chapter 27, you remove the possibility of them starting with letter Z, 28, Z, Y, and Z, and so on. And you go back. And you go back. And so the last chapter is, again, only starting with the letter A. Huh. So it was like, why, why, why write this? <laughs> it's such a weird... Oh, man. I think this one is more of an exercise rather right. than... Actually meant to be read. Right. Yeah. But... It is a whole entire book that has got a a plot, I guess. I mean, it's not necessarily the most fascinating thing maybe that's ever been written, but it's the first sent the first um chapter, which I do have an expert excerpt of, is mainly just a bunch of people with 
A names wandering around Africa. <laughs> and after that, it gets kind of hard to understand what's going on. <laughs> but I do think it's interesting. So here's Here from go. the first page. Ages ago, Alex, Alan, and Alva arrived at Antibus, and Alva, allowing all, allowing anyone, against Alex's admonition, against Alan's angry assertion, another African amusant. Anyhow, as all argued, an awesome African army assembled and arduously advanced against an African anthill, assiduously annihilating ant after ant, and afterward, Alex astonishingly accuses Albert as also accepting Africa's antipodal ant annexation. Albert argumentatively answers at another apartment. <laughs> answers, ants are amusing. Ants are amusing. <laughs> That's the whole chapter like that. Oh my god! Doesn't it sound kind of like a really weird Dr. Seuss book? Yeah, it kind of feels like when you need to like pad words for like a word count, and you just like start throwing random words. In. Yeah. Oh man, it. I could not read that whole book. I don't think that's difficult. The the second chapter is a little easier. I have just for like context. Yes. Here's this. Before African adjournment, Alex, Allen, and Alva arrive at Antibes, beginning a big bash. As August brings back a buoyancy, a belief, ah, and be- believing all by books about Angol- Angolian basins and about Burundi bathhouses, and a better, better brotherhood as both Alex and Alan bear Alva's anger against brotherhood. So See, it's like kind of starting to be yeah, more normal. I know all the words, but I have no idea what happened. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of commas and like the word ah is in there and there's a lot of ellipses to string it together right. into sort of a coherent sentence <laughs> because it it's so constrained right. by the verbiage so yeah. it has to use grammar to to fill in those gaps i right. guess my question to you is at what chapter do you think it becomes almost normal sounding the the third C-A-C-D-E-F. chapter the like how many letters do you need i would say 7 so using A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, yeah. you could get a normal-ish sounding so. sentence. Yeah. I think that would that sounds reasonable to me. Do you have an me. excerpt from there? I don't. Oh, I only have bummer. the first three chapters. Thanks to Amazon or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, if anyone owns that book, email us an excerpt from we the could seventh buy it. chapter. We, but that costs money. Let's see how much. We're trying to make this podcast a net positive. So far... It's, $16 on paperback or $987 on hardcover. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> it must be like uh, a, an edition or something. Yeah. Like a, it, it was only printed once probably. Or someone just like set it there hoping a bot or somebody would actually buy it <laughs> stupidly. <laughs> yeah. That's oh, surprising man. to me. But hey, $16, three, $382 used. We can get it for $4 used. Hmm. A used paperback copy? Yes, used paperback hmm. copy. Maybe that would be worth it. Or maybe it wouldn't be. I don't know. Only time will tell. <laughs> okay, the next one. It's called the Voynich Manuscript. Hmm. Have you ever heard of this? No. Okay. it's. I had heard of this. Um, it's covered in weird illustrations. And uh, there's... It was written in probably like the 15th century, and no one knows what it is because it's not written in any language that is known. So there's some speculation that it's a guide to medicinal herbs or magic spells, or it's just a hoax, or it's like a weird ancient game, kind of like Dungeons and Dragons-esque. But... Professional cryptographers have looked at it and tried to crack the code, and they have no idea what it means. So it's probably just gibberish, but it's got a bunch of like really weird-looking flowers in it, and it's a like actually pretty. In, in the right context, it might be interesting, but it's also a little scary. Like, have you ever right. seen a um, Ari Aster horror movie? Like. Um, Midsummer or uh, what's the other one? Anyway, he he makes horror movies that are not 
dark, right? Darkly lit, yeah. But it's horror from another perspective, right? Um, and it kind of reminds me of that vibe, okay? Because um, it's just like weird, kind of cultish, uh, ancient, weird stuff huh. drawings, and like like they said, it's in this language that is very foreign, and there's a lot of human-ish looking things holding hands and singing maybe. <laughs> They're doing weird stuff. And there's like half humans, half plants, which which weirds me out. Yeah, that's not right. Um, anyway, that one's kind of a more famous example of like weird books. Next one is called Finnegan's Wake by James Joyce. I think I've heard of that actually. James Joyce is a, I think, somewhat respected author who writes heady work. But Finnegan's Wake is well known for being what some call the most difficult to read book ever because it was intentionally written weird, like <laughs> with fragmented sentences uh-huh. and like it's superimposed with other languages and made up words and it's I have an excerpt of it and it was, it's difficult to read. I tried reading it earlier today uh-huh. and it's, it's tough. I'm going to do it, but okay, it's tough. Here we go. Um, but I was reading that it's first James Joyce wrote the book and it's a pretty normal book in its first right. version. And then he purposefully added difficulties and like complexities to huh. make it more difficult to read, which is the intention of the book. It's, right. it's kind of like, um, text painting and music right where the text like what the how the melody goes uh-huh. adds to what the words are actually saying right so it's it's kind of like that I don't I'm sure there's a literary term but I just I only know the musical term anyway here's an excerpt this is the first page mind you River run past Eve and Adams from swerve of shore to bend of bay bringing us by a commodious vicus of Recirculation back to Houth's castle and environs. Sir Tristem, Valer de Mers, Frover the short sea, had Passancor reaverd from North Amorica. On this side, the scraggy isthmus of Europe Minor to wilder fight this Pensacolate war. Nor had Top Sawyer's rocks by the stream Okeny exaggerated themselves to Lauren's country, Gorgios, while they went to Dublin their mumpers all the time. Nor a voice from a fire bellows myth Mishi Mishi Totaf Taf Thark Parfe Pifnik. Not yet, though venison after had a kid sad buttoned in the black old Isaac. Not yet, though all's fair in Venice, were Sois Sethers woth with twon Nathanjo. Rotapec a paz mal had gem or shen brewed by arc light and Rory's end to the riggin brow was to be seen ringsome on the aqua face, the fall. Baba bala gagarankadak lamara araha kakomal. Bron tona roa tona kathoa rosa hara wunkska tunokua tuhu hurdeneka thuranak. I'm going to stop there. <laughs> so I understood, like, it was talking about a river, like describing a river. I think so. And someone was coming over the ocean from uh-huh. uh, Europe to, or from North America to Europe to fight a war. And then I started not understanding and then you just started saying gibberish <laughs> yeah there's that last thing i said was all one word and it's actual gibberish what the heck? yeah i don't get it. <laughs> it yeah and this is just i mean what i what i said this is um just from book one chapter one and the first two pages and i read a fifth of the first page oh can gosh. you imagine a whole book of what no. i just did yeah Crazy. So this wasn't at the top of the New York Times bestseller list, then, I don't, was it? <laughs> I don't think so. I can't imagine like having the brain power to kind of even. I, I'm, I had 
I'm glad that you were listening because I didn't have the brain power to interpret the words right. and also interpret Read the story. Them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's a tough one. Okay, there's another one called Against Nature by, I think, Joris Carl Huysmans. And literally the whole book is this French aristocrat is disillusioned by being a French aristocrat. Oh, life is so hard as a French aristocrat. So he goes home and just kind of hangs out there. And it's, he's, just de- he's just describing his country home in excruciating detail. Wow. There's no action. There's no plot. There's no characters. It's just the whole book, a, a whole novel, describing this guy and his lavish living situation. And he also has a dead tortoise. <laughs> Can you, so you know how sometimes you read a book and they'll spend a long time describing someone's dress yeah. or the scenery, yeah. but then they move on and right. characters speak yeah. or someone does something. Yeah. Imagine if nothing else happened. It was just literally describing like mm. the scenery for an entire book. I think I would read it. Really? It's like a really it's like a really detailed painting, but you're just reading the description of it and not actually okay. looking at it. That's that's an interesting perspective. I I I too found this one more interesting than like uh, Finnegan's Wake. Yeah, but um, I think I would get sick of it after a while. I think I would have trouble remembering that we've been talking about the same armchair for right. eleven pages. Yeah, I think it would be one of those things where it's just like a good de-stressor, and I can just like sit down and veg. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. It would be good drapes. to do like when you're also doing something physical like yeah. repairing something or right. I don't know whatever um, but speaking of that no I can't do a segue <laughs> the next one is called Dancing Lessons for the Advanced in Age and this is one of the newer ones on our list it's by um, Bohumil Hrabel Hrabel um, and it's about an old man who wanders up to some sunbathing women and just starts yar- just starts talking about his life and the adventures he had as a shoemaker and his romantic conquests. And that's the whole book. He just talks about his life to these <laughs> sunbathing women. And here's the catch. This whole book is one sentence. Oh my god. It's all one big run-on sentence. <laughs> it doesn't uh, the apparently the book doesn't make a whole lot of sense because it is actually just one run-on sentence and it's kind of difficult to like comprehend because of that. Yeah, no joke. But at least it's in like a recognizable language, right? So I'm curious because there's no way to like set the scene then either. So he has to like set the scene at the beginning of a sentence. Well, I have the first page. Let's hear it. Okay. I once saw an American writer, a monster, dear lady, another Count Zalakowski, who was known for her cruelty, then there, that man who painted the Dove of Peace. Look at him, the regular mozzarella beggar, your artist today. They all brush their hair into their eyes like the inmates of the monarchy poorhouses poor or a pleasant sent out to pasture when I was young. If, the, if you had two years of schooling, you had your hair permed and combed out like a girl's so the ladies would think you wrote poetry. If you had three, you didn't go out into the sun anymore. You had two. Whereas now, President's Tan, back in the monarchy, work, workers had their pictures taken with one elbow perched on the table and eyes glazing into the distance like Edison. Whereas now, they have them taken chopping, taken chopping wood and star anise, which comes from the Chinese tree. Whereas all the rage and, and terrific in liqueurs and cakes... There were plenty of beggars, but plenty of style. Hungarian flour, the color of sand, had three red hearts on its sacks. American pastry flowers had three crosses, ears of grain, and the Canadian with the scythe in his hand, and Ambrose, Ambrosia, Prince Eugene, commander of the Deichmester and the member of the apothecary's order, was the big... It goes on and on and on. It stresses me out so much. <laughs> so you can kind of hear how it's like flow of consciousness. It's yeah. like, oh, I was thinking about pastries. Now I'm thinking about this guy who made pastries, who's the queen of whatever, yeah. and he's the he's a beggar and blah blah blah. Like yeah. each comma is like, oh, this this is this other thought right. that is vaguely connected to this other thought. And it's literally just stream of consciousness writing. Yikes. 
Yeah, that stresses me out too much. I couldn't read that one. It's very <laughs> interesting. I just like I feel like it'd be easy to write because all you have to do is like imagine a scenario for yourself and then just like write all the things that you think about while you're in that scenario. <laughs> I don't it, this would probably take me a, years and years to write though because I don't have surely everyone has a whole book of thoughts in their in their life, right? right? But to actually collect them and put them down into like I have thoughts on pastries, sure, but to but to put them down into like a sort of coherent novel, <laughs> but to not say I think that uh, you know, croissants are a good pastry, right. period. The, I think this because and like make yeah. it a way that like even now I'm speaking in sentences. Right. It's hard to not speak in sentences. <laughs> right. I mean, that's just kind of how it works. So <laughs> I I think it would honestly be much more difficult to write this, like one big run on sentence that isn't coherent yeah. than just a regular book. Totally. Yeah. I think I can see that. Yeah. So I have a lot of respect for this. Mad respect. The next one is a fascinating story. It's called, um, the book is called The Story of the Vivian Girls by a guy named Henry Darger. And you probably haven't heard of any of these authors, but you definitely haven't heard of Henry Darger. <laughs> because for his whole life, he was just a janitor. Not just a janitor. He was a janitor <laughs> in Chicago. And he pretty much kept to himself. Um, he, and all the people that he talked to in his life, he never mentioned that he was writing a book. And after he died, his landlord discovered this book. It's called, the full title is, The Story of the Vivian Girls in What is Known as the Realms of the Unreal of the Gla- Glandaco Angelican War Storm Caused by the Child Slave Rebellion. That's the title. Wow. <laughs> um, the book is several volumes and 15,000 pages, single-spaced. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> He's got chops. Yeah. And it's like a strange fanta- fantasy adventure story and it's has 300 over 300 illustrations of children and like semi-human creatures and some of them are collages the largest one is over 10 feet wide so this guy for his <laughs> life was building this magnum opus enormous story and never told anyone and yeah. died with it that's crazy he never even planned on like doing his, anything his with landlord it. happened upon it right. while he was cleaning out his apartment or whatever but it's this epic story that maybe is larger than almost any other story written. That's crazy. Who knows how good it is. Right. But still, just the creative energy yeah, put into this that requires creating a whole world with yeah. characters and a backstory. I'm sure there was world building involved. Even if it's not, you know, the, the Lord of the Rings, right. it's still... Like, that's a lot of work. That's pretty impressive. Uh-huh. And I'm kind of curious about it. I couldn't find a a sample of this one. Right. I don't Did know if it's published it? or anything. Yeah. But um, it's really, I was really intrigued by this story. Huh. And just makes you wonder what unassuming yeah. people walking around are working on amazing work. Yeah. And maybe just don't plan on doing anything with it, too. Yeah. That's they're, crazy. they're just going to, they're just doing it for their own yeah. benefit. I don't know. Next one is called How It Is by a guy named Samuel Beckett. And uh, literally the whole book is just a guy crawling around in mud. (laughs) Uh, This person who reviewed it said he thinks that he meets another guy in the mud and they hang out for a while. (laughs) Then the other guy leaves and he's back to being alone in the mud. Uh, But he doesn't crawl crawl anymore. And... That's it. Wow. <laughs> He's just like, a whole book, can you imagine that? Just a whole book of the dude just like crawling around in mud. What do you even say? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I crawled around in mud. I'm still crawling around in mud. <laughs> I'm going to crawl around in mud some more. Like, it, <laughs> it must be like a philosophical book. He must talk about other things in yeah, the world. Yeah, just the mud. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious about, like, it's a commentary, but... The, this guy, Samuel Beckett, was friends with James James Joyce, the guy that wrote Finnegan's Wake. Yeah. So I'm really, I kind of want to read this one. Just, <laughs> I wish that you, 
I was just about to say, I wish that you could rent books for free and, <laughs> and like read them <laughs> like a library. I've got news for you. <laughs> wow. They just wouldn't have any of these books. That's the issue. Probably not. They only yeah. have books that people want to read. Right. <laughs> okay. This next one also made a lot of lists. It's called Codex Seraphinianus. I should have practiced how to read, read that word. <laughs> Seraphinianus by Luigi Serfini. And on the cover, there is a there's several pictures. It's like a biology diagram. The first one is of a couple together in bed. And the next one is their hands are, and feet are like turning green. And the next one, their hands and feet are more green and their heads are kind of becoming reptilian. And then the next one, their hands and feet and legs are like morphing together. And so are their heads. And then the last one, they're like kind of a crocodile. (laughs) (laughs) They're like becoming one crocodile. And so this book, I think is just weird for being weird. It's an imaginary encyclopedia of this other world written in a made up language. So it's, it's kind of, it's got a lot of weird um, illustrations and they're actually really cool illustrations, but like I'm looking at this one right now, I'll show it to you. It's a dude in like a weird car with kind of a coffin on the back and there's uh, the bottom half of a person and the front part of the car. <laughs> and I think it's supposed to like be some sort of commentary on death because it's coffin-ish and there's a body kind of thing in it. <laughs> but I have no idea. And then there's this other picture of like trees and you cut them in half and there's other smaller trees in them and they're walking around and you like cut them avocados. open. Yeah, they look like avocados, but they're trees. And then there's this other one that there's like people walking around with umbrellas. And then there's other things walking around that are just legs with umbrellas attached to them. (laughs) So it's just, it's, and it below the pictures is what would be like an encyclopedia. You know, there's cross sections of these things and titles and scribblings next to it and measurements. So it looks like it's like a field. um, What's like it called? A field guide journal? or whatever. Yeah. yeah, like what I imagine Mary uh, uh, Lewis and Clark did right. when they went out and discovered all the new species and plants and yeah. things. But this is just a completely of made weird up thing. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, look at this one. Uh, this is like a, a horse, but the bottom half is one huge tumor. <laughs> I don't know. It's so weird. It's like a giant <laughs> rock covered in gems or something. Yeah, attached to a horse. Attached to a horse. And it's like the language is just all, so it's just weird symbols underneath everything, yeah, right? Yeah, it's not even sort of a language. It doesn't really even look like any existing language. It's just like curvy, swoopy, random things. That's so weird. It's super weird. But it's a whole book like this of really unique huh. drawings, like uh, points for imagination, you know? Yeah. Um, but those are, that uh, that one made a lot of lists because it's just like, how weird can you get? I can't imagine anything much weirder than that horse potato thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, here are some ones that are maybe not supposed to be weird, but I found them weird. Okay. This one is called How to Date a White Woman, a Practical Guide for Asian Men. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's it was written in 2002. And uh, it's available for purchase on Amazon. You is can, it like a for dummies thing? Like, is it seriously I, I, an actual guide? I think so. The <laughs> description says, feel confident about approaching attractive white women. Avoid making irreversible blunders. <laughs> Written by an Asian with Asian men in mind within the context of a Western society. Provided insight. Provided inside are the knowledge, framework, and tools necessary for an Asian man to understand, to plan, and to put into action the steps to successfully date a white woman. Hmm. So, I mean, I, I guess I get that because the cultures are so different yeah. that it would be helpful to have like a cultural guide, you know? Yeah. And it definitely, like, the description seems written towards that culture of just like being direct and saying what it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, like, there's no political correctness here. It's just no. Gonna, I, underst- I understand the intent, I yeah. guess. I'm very curious if 
anyone bought this, I mean, all of the reviews are like, this is a gag gift. I right. bought this as a gag gift. You're curious if an Asian man actually bought this. I'm curious if anyone bought this white woman <laughs> intentionally. Um, uh, yeah, but everyone says they got it as a gag gift. You just got to look on Amazon China, not Amazon America. That's a that's true. That's a great. Um, we need a VPN sponsor yes, first. I know. <laughs> Someone sponsor us. Um, but I I just want to. I kind of want this book. It's out of stock, unfortunately. Mm. A lot yeah. of demand. I just want to know how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm a white man and I still am sometimes confused by <laughs> white women. <laughs> so maybe I could be benefited from that guide. <laughs> Here's one called Satan Burger, mm. written in 2001 by... I've had one of those. What? Yeah. It was actually oh, like Satan Sateen Chicken or? Fried Steak. Set, 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 Satan. Satan. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Made my guts explode. Anyway. <laughs> this is, listen to the description. This is written by Carlton Mellick III. Absurd philosophies, dark surrealism, and the end of the human race. God hates you. All of you. He closed the gates of heaven and wants you to rot on earth forever. Not only that, he is repossessing your souls and feeding them to a large vagina-like machine called the Walm, an interdimensional doorway that brings his new children into the world. He loves these new children, but he doesn't love you. They are more interesting than you. They are beautiful, psychotic, magical, sex-crazed, and deadly. They are, returning, they are turning your cities into apocalyptic chaos, and these nothing... And there's nothing you can do about it. Featuring a narrator who sees his body from a third-person perspective, a man whose flesh is dead but his body parts are alive and running amok, an overweight messiah, the personal life of the Grim Reaper, lots of classy sex and violence, and a motley group of squatter punks that team up with the devil to find their place in a world that doesn't want them anymore. This generation's Vonnegut. <laughs> what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like, a, at the very least, an interesting read, it right? It definitely would be. <laughs> it's got pretty decent reviews, four stars and 133 ratings. Wow. So I don't know exactly like when you get to this point in your reading career, like how many books you have to read to need this kind of literature. Yeah, you have to literature. read like hundreds of books, thousands of books. Yeah, like everything else has bored me. Right. I need this kind of book now to satiate my yeah. reading needs. It's like when you're a drug addict and just... Good drugs don't do it anymore, so you like start doing meth. It's pretty much what this book is. It's the meth of books. The meth of books. That's interesting. I bet the author would actually probably appreciate probably, that. Probably, honestly, yeah. Okay, I have one more. Okay. So really soak it in. Okay, I'm ready. This one is called Luigi, a number one. Hmm. Why Luigi is the best thing to ever happen to this godforsaken planet that we live on. Do they mean like Luigi, like from the Mario Bros? Yes, Luigi oh from the Mario Bros. <laughs> and the author's name is Luigi Enthusiast. There's <laughs> truly no author associated with this book. There's a there's some words on the top of the book that says, It's a me, a Luigi. <laughs> and then there's a copyright signal at the bottom it says disclaimer. The It's a Me, a Luigi copy cop, company is in fact not copyrighted, but please pretend that it is copyrighted simply to boost my ego for having written an actual real-life book about Luigi. Thank you for your time. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know how long it is. Oh, wait, I can look. Uh, about 35 pages. <laughs> Does it have any, like, reviews? Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Five stars, 223 ratings. <laughs> oh, my God. And it's more than the weird book. Yeah. Here's the description. This doc this book documents why I hold on. This book documents why I, as the title suggests, believe that Luigi is the best thing to ever happen to this godforsaken planet that we live on. Don't believe me? Sorry, pal. You're wrong. Go ahead and read this book anyway, though, because you might like it. The this book relentlessly teaches you exactly why that mustachioed green man of ours is superior to his brother in every way. What a man, am I right? If you ever if you have ever wanted to simply know more about Luigi or you just want a fun Luigi-related read, you have made the right decision. 
I'm sure Luigi would want you to read this book, so go ahead. Check it out and read about your favorite man in green. Disclaimer, this book is a parody satire work and is no way of officially affiliated with Nintendo or the Super Mario Bros. franchise. <laughs> this has to be just like a cash grab, right? Like, it's oh, yeah. short and it's silly and I kind of want to buy it. How much is it? It's $10. <laughs> nope, not going to buy that. <laughs> oh, man. What could possibly fill up 35 pages about Luigi? It's actually 70 pages I love. Yeah, that's crazy. Here's some here's some reviews. Five stars from um, Super Fast Jellyfish. He says, A book to surpass the Bible. <laughs> I ordered this book on a whim. I am a Super Mario Bros. fan, and Luigi is a Mario bro. So I figured I would give it a shot. What I found was nothing less of the truth of how Luigi is God and should be treated as such. I do not know how it slipped from me before now. All the signs are right there. But if you are a dunce like me and need to... I need them pointed out to you. You need this book. It is a holy text that can and should surpass the Bible. Glory to the mustachioed Lord of the universe, for he give, giveth spaghetti and he taketh away spaghetti. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> There's another one saying, I have a new Bible. Okay. I think we're about to be smited, so yeah, <laughs> we should probably move on. <laughs> Man, this cult of Luigi fanatics over well, here. It's funny because Luigi is famous in the Nintendo world for being hated. Everyone yeah, hates he's Luigi. Like the middle child and no one cares about him. So if- this must be the like small subgroup of right. people who vehemently oppose those who hate Luigi yeah. and say, no, he is my God. Yeah. So they're talking about middle children. This is just a bunch of middle children. I guess who are forced so. Or people who Luigi. need to be defiant yeah. to be special. Because yeah. I was always Mario because I was the oldest. And if you're the oldest, you're Mario. You're mm-hmm. always the first player. And then you, you're forced to be Luigi if you... Aren't. I was actually usually Luigi even though I'm the older. Really? Because my brother was better at the game and he would play it more often. So he would usually be the one playing first and so I would join later and by mm. default I would become the second player. Yep. So how do you feel about Luigi? <laughs> uh, I would act, well on the newer Super Mario uh, games, yeah. you can choose of other characters too. Like you right. could be Toad or Toadette or someone else. Right. So I would usually be Toad. Right. So Toad's I, great. I really never played as Luigi. Toad's great. <laughs> yeah, Toad is Toad is better than Luigi for sure. And Mario. Yes. Yeah, Toad is the best. Yeah, where's our Toad Bible book? <laughs> <laughs> Let's write one, sell it for ten dollars, make yeah. a bunch of money. <laughs> yeah. You just need to do a little bit of um research, research. and that'll be it. Some toad research. Yeah. I think we can play some Mario. That'll be next week's podcast. Yes. Thank you for listening to I Heard It on a Podcast. We've got new episodes every Monday and Wednesday that you can find wherever you get podcasts. If you love Toad to the ends of the earth, <laughs> then send this podcast to someone else who loves Toad to the end of the earth. And you can love Toad together. <laughs> As always, you can reach us at I heard it on a podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> I think we've really reached new heights in yeah, this podcast. This is great. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Toad. This little.